the real issue is just a lack of clear strategy. Um, so that's something that I really encourage organizations I work with is, is before you jump into the system, you know, the, te- the technology is not necessarily the first thing you want to work on. You know, take a look at your organizational strategy uh, and, is the, and then take a look at your fundraising strategy. Is that fundraising strategy supporting your mission and vision in the way it's supposed to and the way you want it to with the values that you have? Uh, and then from there, once we've defined all that, okay, now let's find out how the technology can support that. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top nonprofits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Ruben Singh. He's the founder and principal consultant at One-Tenth Consulting, who works exclusively with nonprofits to provide strategic guidance, implementation services, and change management support as nonprofits consider how they can adopt technology as a part of the broader systems they're using to connect their supporters to their story. This conversation was incredibly packed with insights, and anyone who's thinking about how they can adopt new systems or CRMs will highly benefit from Ruben's experience of over 20 plus years helping nonprofits navigate how they should adopt CRMs, if they should adopt CRMs, and what are the other parts outside of the platforming that you need? How do you adjust processes? How do you move people? How do you drive adoption? Buying for the future. There's so many brilliant insights in this conversation, so let's dive in. Ruben, you've spent the bulk of your career working alongside nonprofits as they acquire and maximize the use of technology as a way to drive their mission forward. What what are some of the common pitfalls you've seen organizations fall in as they approach adopting technology? That's that's a great question, Noah. And I think if I have to uh, narrow it down to one thing, it's it's that assuming that the technology alone is going to solve the problem. Um, and I've just seen it too many times in my career, especially, uh, you know, working with uh, product companies, CRM product companies, where we have checked all the boxes of what we said we were going to accomplish. We, you know, we finished on time, we finished on budget, we implemented everything we said we were going to implement. But walking out of that last time, I kind of knew myself, I don't know. I don't know if this is going to go too well. <laughs> I don't know if they're really going to reap all the benefits that they that they can out of the system. And it's largely because all the other supporting components to make that technology successful is not there. And I think that brings up an interesting question because a lot of times we think about technology or even like adopting technology as, you know, going around looking at different vendors, scoping out the capabilities we need, you know, demoing with a bunch of products, including, you know, maybe us here at Virtuous, because we are a CRM and we see this often, or they have a checklist that they send to all these vendors and they're like, let's do this. And there's kind of this like big raw initiative, but there's more to it than that. So, and and I think we even encourage our prospects who are, are considering our Virtuous CRM to, to think through some of these things. So I guess as you've advised nonprofits or worked alongside nonprofits, what are some of the other things that they need to be thinking about outside of just what solution or software should we choose? You know, and, and I don't want to um, discount the importance of the technology side of it as well. Um, you know, I think uh, even that, 
often need some guidance and some thought put into it. I often advise my customers that before you are to um, engage in a demo, let's say, um, you know, make sure that you have your requirements ready to go. Um, otherwise, you know, if you're just there to be, you know, entertained in a demo, uh, okay, you know, you're, you're going to get what you're going to get. But if, if you kind of come in with very clear requirements and you have conversation with the vendor ahead of time, and, and most CRM vendors and, and product companies I've worked with, they would much appreciate that to have sort of a, a very clear yeah. vision of what they're <laughs> trying to accomplish with those requirements. Um, and that way, the demo itself, the product conversation itself is a lot more useful. So I think from the, from the technology side, there's, there's things that can be done um, just to make the demo and the decision and the, you know, that side of it uh, more useful. Um, but, but some of the things that I, that I try to advise my customers on, especially the things that are supporting it, um, uh, and, and early on in the process is, uh, you know, you know, I guess the best way I can describe it is, uh, is just a, with a quick story. Sometimes uh, I get called in uh, as a, a you know, nonprofit technology strategist. I get, I get called in and, and customer says, oh, you know, our nonprofit's having a real big problem. Uh, the, the system's not working. Uh, and then usually when I go in, I have conversations, I start meeting with users, I, you know, take a look under the hood. And I, I think to myself, my gosh, you know, you might have a technology problem, but that's, that's the least of your problems. You have, you have a lot of other things going on here. There's, there's no clear vision. There's no clear strategy. Um, people are not using the system the same way. There's no real training done. Um, you know, people are still using their spreadsheets outside of the system. So it, it's really, the technology may be, may be a challenge, but the real issue is just a lack of clear strategy. Um, so that's mm. something that I really encourage organizations I work with is, is before you jump into the system, you know, the, te- the technology is not necessarily the first thing you want to work on. You know, take a look at your organizational strategy. Uh, and is the and then take a look at your fundraising strategy. Is that fundraising strategy supporting your mission and vision in the way it's supposed to, in the way you want it to, with the values that you have? Uh, and then from there, once we've defined all that, okay, now let's find out how the technology can support that. Um, and that's that's easy to do for some organizations to kind of go through that process. But for others, they they need help. They need consultation. They need guidance. And and so there's plenty of organizations out there to help them with that. Um, but but that's something I've really encouraged folks to do is 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 really focus on the strategy, make sure that's clear, uh, and then have the technology support that. Um, another example that uh, of where I've seen uh, things go awry or where the technology can't solve the problem um, is just business processes themselves. Um, I always encourage the organizations I work with that you know hey before you jump into another project let's reevaluate your business processes. Uh, one scenario I ran into once, and this was a recent one, is I'm, I'm sitting down with a gift processor and during a requirements gathering session, and I said, okay, so, you know, tell me exactly how you're, how you're processing these gifts and what you're tracking. And they said, oh, well, we have this automated coding system for every gift that comes in, and it needs to be, you know, automated on how we code it um, based on the, you know, allocation units and so on and so forth. And you need to make sure that you customize this in the new system. And I was a little worried because I said, oh, this is, this is pretty custom and this is uh, going to be very time, you know, time intensive and costly to build. And then I started peeling back the onion, you know, like, well, why exactly do you do this? You know, what's, what's driving this? And as I started learning more, I realized that this process was something that was designed years and years ago by a previous development officer who doesn't work there anymore, that they were producing some sort of dashboard in an Excel spreadsheet and they needed this code there. So here, years have passed and uh, nobody has really questioned why this process is in place. But here we were about to spend a ton of time and money in building it out again in the new system. So um, 
you know, and, and, and it's just a, a clear example of, you know, really when, you, when you're ready to move into a new system or ready to rethink your system, it's always a good idea to rethink your processes. Is there something that we're doing that we don't need to? Is there something that we should be doing? Is there something that could be done in a more optimal or more efficient way? And let's make those smart decisions as we move into something else. Because the last thing we want to do is take broken processes in an old system and, and move those broken processes into a new one. And you bring up a really valid point that we talk a lot about is that when you're thinking about uh, evaluating a solution, it actually is kind of, there's three components to that. There's the process, as you just mentioned, there's the platform, mm-hmm. the technology, you know, maybe it's multiple technologies pieced together. It's kind of just like the functionality of how this fits into your, your organization. But then there's also this other component, which is people. And I know you kind of address process, and we're going to get into how you uh, address platform. But you kind of alluded to this at the beginning, where you'll walk into an organization, you realize that there's no alignment in kind of how we process things or who does what. And then you obviously have that rogue employee that's like <laughs> against, you know, anti CRM, anti software, because they either decided that they it's not for them, they're older, they do it old school, you know, they have their Rolodex and their right. sticky notes. <laughs> Yeah. How, how do you address those problems? Because I think like in some ways, like there, we have strategies and kind of uh, frameworks to look at process. And we have frameworks mm-hmm. to look at platforms. But people are hard. <laughs> so how do you advise <laughs> organizations on that? Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And to be completely honest, you know, there are some of those, I mean, usually there is a, there's a wide spectrum of opinions and perspectives. And you, you just kind of defined a lot of, a lot of those opinions and perspectives that are on that perspective when I walk into, uh, on that spectrum, when I walk into an organization. And um, there are some that you, you just can't convince. <laughs> they're they're going to stick to their Rolodex no matter what, uh, uh, what you do. And so, you know, as a consultant, I do my best to hear, to listen, to see what, you know, is there some low hanging fruit or is there something that, that we can take from them um, that, uh, that they can see advantages of in a, in a different direction that we move. But I also know that, you know, the organization still needs to move forward and it's not going to, it's not going to be able to please everybody. So that, that's one thing that I've, I've kind of learned the, the hard way um, is trying to please everybody in the system. Uh, but the other side of that is being very clear um, and, uh, on the expectations. And so that's what I think from the people side, um, there, there's two things that I really focus on is one thing is, is being very clear on the expectation. When you have organi- you, you know, when you have a salesperson come in for a new, you know, do a demo and say, hey, here's all the bells and whistles. Here are all the things that you can accomplish with this great CRM. And then the rollout happens a few months later and none of those things are there. Um, you know, that's sort of the beginning of the end of your user adoption. And um, that's not to say that the salesperson did anything wrong. That's not to say that uh, the, the users had the wrong expectation, but it's that, that area in the middle where there was no real communication that, oh, by the way, this first phase is really just getting our data over, you know, or, or this first phase is really just focusing on one component or one business unit. Um, so, uh, so, so that sort of lack of communication is, is, is always a problem. And I've seen other organizations do a great job in communicating and having regular meetings and demos and newsletters and everything to take people through the process. The, the, the other component that I think helps in, in the people side of things is change management. And I know that's sort of a buzzword and, and people often think of, of training when I say that. And yeah, training is a component of it. But it's really uh, working with folks as early as possible in the process. You know, let's say it's a new CRM implementation, really working with them from day one uh, and 
engaging with users and saying, okay, these are the things that are going to change. These are the things that are going to stay the same. These are things that are going to get worse, <laughs> you know, in, in the short term because, you know, we need to get used to the system because we don't have all our integrations in place. And really just kind of walking them through the process, also getting them familiar with the technology long before it comes out. Um, so, so these sort of steps of aligning with expectations, being very deliberate about, you know, what changes are coming so that when the actual system rolls out, it's not a shock, it's not a surprise, but by then, hopefully, uh, they're going to be cheerleaders of the system, you know, especially if you can, you know, as you're describing all the changes that are coming, uh, talk to them about the advantages that they're going to gain. You know, here are some short-term advantages you're going to gain. Oh, this, this, you know, information that could, was never surfaced before, you're going to be able to see it on a dashboard every morning. Or this tool has a great duplicate management feature, so you're not going to see five, um, you know, records of the same constituent. Um, or this has a really one-click, you know, email feature uh, that you're going to be able to click your uh, email constituent without having to leave the system. Like being able to articulate those positives that they're going to get, um, and that helps sort of balance the opinions on it um, before the rollout comes out. So, so being uh, setting expectations and really guiding them along the changes that they're going to expect, so that one, once the system is rolled out, there's no surprises. Yeah, and I think the the second word you talked about expectations, the second word that I heard or thought about when you were talking about this is just exposure and being very mm. clear um, continually. You know, you and you kind of describe what that looks like. This idea of exposure or to what is coming, what's not coming, right. what will change, what benefits we will get. It's not. I think exposure with expectations is kind of what we've also seen organizations uh, leverage to drive success outside of the technology implementation because there is a people and process implementation that really has to come along with this. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot of this stuff that we're talking about really requires uh, two things that. I think are less discussed, or at least uh, we we don't hear them considered as often. And the first is that this takes bold leadership and like deep buy-in from leadership, where it's not just you know Don down in data management, you know, being the advocate for this. Like it really requires a leadership buy-in across the board. And second, it requires there's additional cost to acquiring new systems that aren't always considered. But there also are additional costs that you inquire or you incur when you don't switch systems. So I want to kind of address those two in parallel. But first is the leadership thing. How, how should someone, let's say you're not a leader, but you realize, because you're on the front lines, you realize our system's out of date, you realize that our platforms are not positioned with the capabilities that we need to uh, to kind of drive towards maybe the, the vision or the strategic plan that the board or the executive leadership have laid out. How do you drive leadership adoption? How do you drive from the bottom up to think right. about technology and platforming as a key part of us hitting our goals that we have as an organization? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I think that... Um, you know, it, it's something we've, we, I've struggled with because oftentimes I walk into an organization and and they have said, uh, okay, you know, here's the IT team. You know, we we we, we sign all the contracts. <laughs> the, the leadership is there to to meet everybody on the kickoff to give an inspiring speech, and then and that's it. They're out. They're out of the picture. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's because. Uh, 
and, and just to be frank here, sometimes the, the leadership does not want to participate in the whole uh, delivery of a solution or implementation of a solution because, hey, they're too busy, or you know, maybe they just don't feel like they're they know enough about the details to participate, uh, or sometimes it's they don't they're not really confident about it and they don't really want to invest too much time in it in case things go wrong, um, and that way they can feel like they hey it was not my fault. I've seen it all. I've seen it all from from the from the leadership side of things. Um, but the organizations that have been most successful are the ones who, you know, when there's an implementation, for example, or, or a team that is owning the CRM from that point forward, there's a there's a cross representation of the team. They are people who are, you know, end users. There's IT representatives. There's development or fundraising representatives, and then there's leadership involved. When there is that sort of governance structure where, where or decision making body where everybody's involved and everybody has skin in the game, that's, that's absolutely where it's been most successful, where the leadership is engaged from, from the beginning, um, at least to some capacity, and, and knowing exactly how things are going, the decisions that are being made, and they're participating in it. Um, not, only does it make, not only does it ensure that we're aligning with the vision of the organization, but it sends a message to everybody else that you know, leadership cares about this. this, is, this is the dire- they are moving along with this direction as well. Uh, and, and, and if we want to, you know, be good contributors to this organization, we need to move uh, as well along with that leadership. The, the, the other thing I've seen is, you know, a very tactical thing that, that I, I encourage every single time I sit down with an executive director or, a, you know, a president of a nonprofit. I say, you know, the moment that, you know, let's say you have a, a, a high-touch fundraising group and, uh, you know, we've now just trained them to stop using their spreadsheets and now start using the CRM to track all their interactions and their, you know, what they're proposing and the solicitations that they have going on and really use the system for that. That way, you know, everything is tracked. The institutional, you know, memory and history is there. The moment that the leaders start saying, okay, now make sure I have my, that's all, that's all nice. Make sure I have my spreadsheet every Monday morning. Um, you, you've thrown user adoption out the window. So, you know, where this is where leadership needs to come in and say, okay, you know, I'm now running all my weekly uh, sales calls or, or fundraising check-ins uh, through the system. So if it's not there, it didn't happen. Um, so, you know, let's sit down together, let's open up the system, let's look through it, and let's, let's talk about where, where we are. Uh, the, the moment that leadership takes that initiative to, to be uh, users of the system or at least proponents of the system in that way, then you're going to start seeing the user adoption. The moment that you start asking for things outside of the system or don't really give it the respect it deserves, you can throw your user adoption out the window. Yeah, and I think all of those elements come into really uh, important play because I, I, I do think what you're describing is that leadership, even though they don't necessarily need to be in the weeds, mm-hmm. they should still have a posture of positivity towards the change and Absolutely. presence, but then also kind of remaining accessible and active as the process builds on. And I know that that's kind of with any change, I think leadership needs to continue to reiterate the why behind the change and the importance of that throughout the process, not just at the beginning and the end. And then, but it's like, how do you continually kind of press on that drum, even if it's repetitive, especially at a larger organization where you you're trying to drive adoption across a variety of stakeholders that have various opinions about this new system. And likely it's because they've gone through other implementations or system changes that honestly didn't do them any good, you know, and I think that's the reality. So, yeah, 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 no, I I agree hundred percent. And I think, you know, the words you chose in the question are important, like bold leadership. 
And, and that's, you know, because to your point, you know, they, they have may, may have seen some, some disasters in previous lives or, I mean, frankly, just Google it, you know, CRM implementations, and it's going to give you all the horror stories. So uh, you're absolutely right. It, it takes that bold leadership to say, look, I'm, I'm all in on this. And, you know, if the problems arise, then we're going to course correct. But, um, you know, and, and I don't see that, especially with some of the, a lot of the larger nonprofits. I, I see oftentimes the executives are kind of hedging their bets. They're like, oh, at what point do I, you know, jump ship or, or start, you know, the blame game or, you know, disconnect myself from this rather than, you know, making the hard decisions. So you're absolutely right. It, it takes that bold leadership and the right level of engagement. Ruben, I know you're a consultant on CRMs, but you know you get hired half the time just so you can be blamed, right? Like, <laughs> let's just be honest. That's why we hire consultants. That's part of the job. That's part of the job. <laughs> so we just spent the first 15 minutes of this conversation talking about all of the challenges and kind of uh, hurdles we have to overcome as a nonprofit to even be able to move forward, whether it's adopting new processes or platforms or changing people to really move our organization forward. But we know, and you've, I've seen this here at Virtuous, and I know you've expressed this as well, is that when it's done well, the outcome is tremendous. And the, you know, the momentum that this moves someone forward is there. So the outcomes are good, but the process to get there seems really hard. And so what we find is there, our biggest competitor to changing platforms and processes and people is inertia. Because everything mm-hmm. we just described, like honestly, if I was listening to this, I'd be like, you know what? That system we have right now, not too bad, not too shabby. You know, like I can continue to do the workaround that takes me 20 extra minutes, but like everything else feels really, like, really tough. So, my question is, how do you, what should organizations be doing to sell the investment internally? Because we're not just talking about the CRM costs, the subscription costs that you're paying or the consulting costs. Like, there's true cost here, but there's also cost to not changing. So, how should organizations consider these things and then sell this internally? Because it typically is a large investment. And we either, our two biggest competitors, even here when prospects are like, we're on board, we're doing this, the two reasons we lose business and aren't mm-hmm. able to help a client is because of inertia or the lack of desire to make the investment. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's an important point. And I, I think... Um, what I tend to do in this case is, you know, like even as simple as is in the requirements process, there are some things that I often get requests for or, you know, oh, it would really be great if we do X. And I know in the larger scheme of things, this is not super important. It is, it is not going to structurally change the organization. It's not going to transform things. And as a consultant, I'm normally told to you know, stay away from that. Make sure you go for the, the biggest bang for the buck you know, type of solutions when you're designing something. But I, I don't take it that way. I, I don't approach it that way, right or wrong. I, I, um, you know, I try, when I listen to, to users and some of their pain points, I, I, in my notebooks or my, my notes, I will always asterisk some certain things that I think will be, you know, I call it low-hanging fruit, but things that will really benefit folks, even if it's a small thing, even if it's, you know, diverts us from the, 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 the main areas of the scope for a little bit. But those little things that will help make people happy. Um, whether it's a particular dashboard, whether it's a particular notification, whether it's an integration with their Outlook or an integration with their Gmail, something where they can make an easy click. Because, you know, for me to sit there and say, ah, oh, you're going to be, you're going to have all your data consolidated in one place, that might seem like a great thing to me and it might seem like a great thing to leadership. 
but all they want is to be able to send an email out without having to go into Outlook. They just want to do it in their CRM. So I think it's really balancing the, the big picture items from the, you know, the, just the tactical, tangible things that make people happy. <laughs> um, because if we ignore the, the, the happiness part of, of this, then we, we're going to lose those users and, and you know, maybe lose the success of the overall thing. So, so that's, that's something I, I try to encourage folks to do is, is really you know, catch those things in the requirements and the design or uh, before you roll things out to, to make sure you, you have enough of those uh, little things that, or, that can make people happy as they, they transition to a new system. Um, the, the other thing, and this, this is, is less exciting, to be honest, is, is having a clear um, roadmap. So, uh, you know, the, the moment you roll something out and people say, oh, okay, this is great, but this is not really all that I thought I was going to get. Uh, what about the events management tool? What about the, the mobile access? What about the volunteer management side of things? I, you know, this, we talked about this a few months ago. Um, and, and, you know, realistically, and frankly, at one-tenth, we, we recommend not, not doing these big bang approach uh, implementations. We like things to be in small phases. But having a clear roadmap is helpful because, you know, telling a, a user that, oh, we're not going to do volunteer management or we don't have a plan for it, that's not a great message. But to say, okay, well, in Q2, this is, these are the features that we're going to address or roll out or, you know, uh, enable um, that's a much better thing. You know, I'm, I'm, even though I might not be happy with waiting three or six months, knowing that it's on the roadmap is, is definitely keeping me more positive about it and keeping me engaged in the process. So, so I think those are, those are two things from a, from an implementation perspective, um, having a, uh, you know, finding that, that low hanging fruit that can really bring, bring joy to the system uh, and to the users. Um, but also, uh, having a clear roadmap so people feel like they're being heard, they're being listened to, and you know th this is just an iterative process that that's working and evolving along with their with their uh, organization. And there's two things that came to mind, like the on the latter point about having a roadmap. I think the natural instinct, at least from my experience when I was uh, running growth for a nonprofit, was that if the in in the absence of clear communication the assumption is no one has a plan <laughs> or no one has any idea what's going on type thing. And so it's it, even if that's not true, it's the absence of that clarity or communication that drives fear or uh, content in some ways. Because it's like, well, no one, like literally you don't have a plan for this? Like why, oh, are you stupid? You know, like, and I think that's not, that's just like a natural thing where it's like, wait a second, we like, you don't know. And so I, I think that's so important. The other thing I think was really interesting that you mentioned, and it came up the other day on a sales demo um, here at Virtuous, is the the points of joy or points of like relief, even if it's for like one person in the organization. Okay. And so there was there was um, two things that happened. One was that uh, in Virtuous, when you log in and you have assigned donors, like you only see your donors, like in kind of the dashboarding for major gift officers. And that's something that we don't necessarily, we talk about, but we don't necessarily show it. And when we showed it, it was like, that's amazing. You know, like it was just a simple thing that was like that, really? Like it was, they had a, they could see themselves. They could see, they felt what it would feel like if they were wearing, like if they had that visibility, you know, and it kind of presented this joy, even though maybe it wasn't a huge deal, but it was like for them, it was a big deal for this one person. 
Right. And, and as technologists, yeah, I mean, as technologists, we often ignore those things because we're kind of looking at the, you know, the, the big ticket items that, that you know, like where, where our engineers have spent a lot of time investing in. Yeah. But sometimes they're just like, can this screen be blue or, or something like that? And, and I have to kind of back up for a second and say, oh, okay, you know, this is just, this is, uh, I have to kind of stop looking at it from my lens and look at it more from theirs. Yeah. No, there was three other things that happened. One was, um, we have like, when you look at a donor's profile, you see all the donors that live around them. Like we have a map built in that you can see like, oh, all these donors like live around here and you can click through and explore. That was like amazing for a major gift officer. The other was when we deliver mail from the system, because you can send mail, we actually give you the USPS like delivery notifications in the profile. So if a major gift officer will know when their donor received a piece of mail, Mm-hmm. And they were like, what? I can yeah. like then be notified to call them like, and you receive this type thing. Right, and right. then the third thing was, is that we said that, you know, hey, major gift officer, you can just send emails from Outlook and like they'll record on the donor's profile. Like you don't even have to re- leave Outlook. Exactly. And they were like, that's brilliant. And the sales rep was like, why do they get so excited about this? And it's like, what? <laughs> this is amazing. Like you don't understand like... <laughs> Before, they probably either had to go into the system, copy the stuff, going back into Outlook, send the email, copy the email, paste it back in the notes. Totally. Like, even though that's five minutes, that's a pain in the ass. And you know that you shouldn't have to do that, like, you know, in today's day and age. So this is, it's those little things of joy that maybe they're not going to sell the organization, but you're Mm going to win the heart of the individual. And honestly, like at the end of the day, this, we're all in a people business. Like it's people coming together to work on a cause that, you know, we're trying to move forward. And we have to remember the humanness of this process. Even as we're an organization implementing this, it's like, what is Jane going to care about? What is Bill going to care about? Like, how do I sell that internally? And I think that's so important. I'm glad you kind of surfaced that. Yeah, no, I mean, th- and those are just all amazing. I can, you know, as you gave those examples, I can think of all so many customers that, <laughs> that would love something like that. And, and uh, you know, it, it, as a consultant, it's something that I have to continue to remind myself two things of is that, you know, although I sit and talk about gift processing all day, I'm not a gift processor. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sitting there. You know, the the, the example that you descri- described as a major gift officer copying and pasting out of Outlook. You know, they might be doing that 20 times a day, and uh, I have to realize that. You know, that's not my my job. Uh, even though I understand it, it, it's not what I do every single day. So I can't fully empathize. You know, un- until I really listen to them and really try to see their process, and and um, that's the only way I'll be able to uncover these these uh, you know these small things or things that I perceive as small. Uh, and how to add value to it. And, and then the other part, you know, that I have to check myself on is um, uh, recognizing that no nonprofits, you know, while, while the industry has a lot of standards and, you know, but the way one gift processor handles a soft credit is not the way the other one does uh, and, and really listening to it. So sometimes I come in with a real, really excited about a particular solution and then they say, oh, no, that's not the way we do it. <laughs> so, so I have to also be very careful to make sure that, you know, every nonprofit is also kind of unique in, in their own way. And I have to uh, make sure I'm listening and paying attention to, to those things to make sure that we have the right solutions for them. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we've talked a lot about is obviously doing an ass- internal assessment. You know, it's obviously understanding who the stakeholders are, listening, humanizing that process, uh, realizing that it's not just platform, it's people and process as well as we implement new solutions towards our growth goals. But there's something I think, and I, I don't think this is a, like specific to this, I think this again is a human quality, is that we tend to solve for the problems we have today. And it's mm-hmm. difficult for us to lift up and solve for the future or buy for the future mm-hmm. and think long-term and almost like, oh, if we do this, then this will happen. And that results like second order effects type stuff. 
How do you advise organizations once you've done kind of the, I understand what you need or what you think you need or what you want today to then think bigger than that and say like, we're making a anywhere from five to 15 year decision, you know, right. depending on how, who you like, who you ask, how do you buy for the future or how should an organization yeah. consider buying for the future? Yeah, no, that, that's a good question. And that's, and that's why, uh, to be you know, frank here, like when I worked with other product companies in the past over the course of 20 years working in CRM uh, for product companies, this is what I felt was missing um, because we were just solving technology problems with technology. And, uh, you know, when I, I started having conversations about strategy, it was like, oh, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what you're here for. <laughs> and, and, and so that's why, you know, I, I went off and, and started 110 Consulting is, is because I, I believe that the people, the process, the technology, the strategy, all of that needs to be holistic or else, you know, you're going to end up in trouble. Um, and, and, be, and so this is why I, I always encourage all these organizations. Now, they don't always take me up on it, but to really have those strategy conversations up front. You know, let's forget the technology for a second. You know, what is it that you're, you know, here's your mission, here's your vision, here are your values. Uh, how, how do you foresee, you know, this going in the next 10 to 20 years? What needs to change? What's working well? What, you know, do our SWOT analysis, you know, all the typical things that you might see in a strategy session. We, we just did this for an organization a, a couple of weeks ago, and it's been so eye-opening, you know. What are your values as an organization? You know, you know, even your theory of change and, and uh, you know, how, how do you want your constituents to perceive you? Uh, how do you want your beneficiaries to perceive you? Like really asking all of these questions before we get in the business of, you know, what fields do you want and what pick list values do you want? Um, and, and really, so, so what I try to do is, is take them through the process, you know, start with organizational strategy, start, then go to fundraising strategy, and then let's talk about the technology. Now, there are some other organizations that, you know, are very sound with their, uh, fundraising strategy where we, we may not need to, to go through it, but let's use that as a starting point. Um, and so, so there are some, so those are things that I really encourage is, is to, to have strategic conversations, um, because I'm not interested in implementing solutions that are, you know, only good for a few years. I really want you to be in it for the long haul and, and to make, the, and I want to advise you on the right decision. So, so I want to know what is, uh, uh, what direction are you going? The other part of it is, especially for CRMs that you know, allow you to customize a lot is, uh, I don't want to box you into a solution. So uh, if I have a sense of where you might be heading or programs that you might be considering, or, um, you know, especially now as, as, as a lot of organizations are, you know, pivoting a little bit or saying, oh, how can I make things more virtual? How can I, you know, really trying to understand the direction they want to go. And I have to make sure I don't design a system for them that is going to box them into where they are now. Uh, and that's, that's on the consultant, that's on the implementation partners, that's on the vendors to make sure that they are guiding uh, in an educated way, um, technically, to, to, to not just uh, over-customize or, or build certain boxes that, that just are where they are now, uh, but really um, supporting the strategy that, you know, looking forward. Absolutely. And I think so many of those things are so key to, uh, and important, especially now. And I think we're more hyper aware of this because of the moment we're in, in our, yeah. in 2020 and, you know, sure. almost halfway through. And it's like, oh man, <laughs> there's just lots of uncertainty. <laughs> I think is. there's a, a, a lot of innate fear. You already mentioned like organizations are having to like fundamentally pivot, maybe their operations, like their, mm -hmm. their strategies, everything. And, and I think the, the summary we've come to here at Virtuous, and it's something that we kind of posture towards even as a company, is that like 
we live in a, a world that's quite complex mm-hmm. and complexity requires different things out of us um, to be able to navigate this well. And there's, there's a, there has to be a posture towards learning and continually like listening to what's changing, what's moving, but then also being able to be adapt and nimble to be able to kind of accomplish that. And so one thing that we talk about a lot is even when we're advising nonprofits, like and whether they buy our solution or not, is that we believe nonprofits don't need more vendors. They need partners. And I know platforms and technology, maybe that's like, I'm getting up on a high horse and being like, we're not technology, we're your partner. But I really fundamentally believe this. And I think we live in a world that's changing so rapidly that as you consider who you're bringing along, whether you're hiring you in one-tenth or you're hiring us at Virtuous, we're bringing together partners to help you grow into a future. And it really does have to be that partner relationship. And so I guess my question to you is like, how should organizations thinking about like continually iterating like through their systems and making sure that their their systems are responsive and flexible while also still, you know, accomplishing today's task. Yeah, yeah. And and this is you've hit on a key point here, Noah. And and I'm I'm so happy to hear that this is, you know, the, the perspective of virtuous and it's something that I push for. Uh th- that trusted partner concept is something that often gets lost. And uh and it's it's honestly something I, I never felt really good about in, in in some of the consulting engagements I've been in prior to starting one tenth is I feel like the the consulting model itself is not really doing the best for nonprofits. <laughs> it's taking a very for profit approach of consulting and trying to squeeze it into nonprofits. Um, you know, everyone ta- everyone agrees that. Uh, you know, it makes more sense to have these small phases and iterate over time. You know, you just said it, I say it, and, and all the consulting companies out there say it, but then, oh, by the way, we're going to do this, you know, 24-month project for a million dollars. Why? Because from a consulting model perspective, that's that's the most efficient and it's most cost-effective. I can keep all my resources, you know, I don't have to, you know, I can keep them all engaged. They're all billing. They're, they're um, uh, you know, I, I can I can project my revenue out of this project, so on and so forth. I know I know I'm not making any friends in the consulting business by saying these things, but but the consulting model itself doesn't support that, and and that's not the way nonprofits uh, is in my opinion not the most effective way for them. Um, I think uh, they're busy solving the world's problems, and you know the technology is is important. But as we talked about, there's so many components of it, and we cannot take everybody away to make all these decisions. Uh, for long periods of time like that. So that's why I always encourage, as you described, small phases. Let's do small phases. Let's know, Let's see what are the things that we can, um, you know, take this crawl, walk, run approach. Let's build out the fundraising side. And then, you know, hold off on the volunteers, hold off on the programs. That way, after each of these phases, we can kind of talk through it, see what worked, see what didn't work, where we need to pivot, what we need to tweak, rethink about our priorities, and then start building accordingly. Um, or, you know, we make some different decisions. Ah, you know, well, this is where we might need a third-party tool. You know, I know we said we will build it before, but now that we know more, we'll make a smarter decision and, and integrate with the third-party tool. But that requires the vendors, the consultants to be more patient. And it requires us to rethink our consulting models a little bit and say, okay, you know, that might mean that we don't necessarily have two years of bookable revenue. You know, it means that we're going to do things in chunks. We're going to do things in phases. There might be pauses between the two. 
Um, and, and that requires a different consulting model. It requires a different thing, but I believe that's what nonprofits need and that's what they deserve uh, is to really have those trusted partners do things that make sense for them and not just what makes sense to, you know, a spreadsheet on a bottom line and, and, and you know, monthly revenue projections. Yeah, and you resurface something I think is so interesting is that a lot of organizations see new solution or system adoption as a project. Mm-hmm. And I think, I would advise that we look at it more as a platform and so that it's it's an ongoing thing that we're continually doing and there might be projects within that but this is like a living thing that is going to help inform our organization and that platforming could be platforming and processes and ultimately that kind of makes up the systems and how we talk about it is that like there's three key things in your organization there's your stakeholders or your supporters which can be donor staff board etc beneficiaries etc and then you have like your story which is like your impact your mission etc and then you have your systems which includes like platforming processes business procedures like people like all of these different things in your system and the system is connecting the stakeholders to the story and that's an ongoing thing that's not a project like implementing new technology is not a project like it's a it's a, yeah. it's a platform. Like you're really adopting something new, like how we manage our platform here at Virtuous every day and we're changing it every month and like updating it and learning and advising and taking things away and adding new things. It's the same thing with a nonprofit. And that, that capability, I think, is, is quite difficult for organizations that don't have sophisticated like IT or product teams to really kind of adopt. And I, and I think this is leading to a question. So who owns... The CRM or the system or the platform? Like who owns that in an organization at, at, at the nonprofit? Because I do think someone at the nonprofit needs to own this. Who's in charge of this? That comes up sometimes when we're talking. Like who 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 owns this? Yeah, no, I, and I, I agree with with the points that you you brought up um, leading to this question. But you know, from from what I've seen, um, and this is it, it is hard to do. This is this is hard to do. I I, I preface this by by saying that is is uh, the the best case scenario of owning of ownership over the system is really having a cross functional team. You know, call it what you want the the you know center of excellence or the CRM group or or what have you. But the the most successful organizations I've seen with ownership is uh, when there is this cross functional group of people, even if it's five people. And they take ownership of the system, um, so it doesn't. It's so it's really owned by the nonprofit. It's really not owned by one department or another. If it's owned just by fundraising, you know, IT can get very upset about. Oh, they're not really following our standards. If it's owned just by IT, development gets upset and says, oh, you know, they're not moving at the pace we we need to. Uh, they're not evolving with our with our new fundraising channels, so on and so forth. And there's all constantly this blame game. Um, but if everybody, if, if each business unit or most business units have a little bit of skin in the game and they have their, their team and they're the ones who, let's say, evaluate changes or evaluate decisions or evaluate third-party tools on a regular basis, not taking too much time away from their regular jobs, that sort of uh, representation of, of the different groups and having a diverse set of people making those decisions uh, is where I've seen the most success because it, it kind of cuts out all the blame game. It, it makes the decisions more consensus. Uh, and everybody's on board. And, you know, if, if things go wrong, they, things go wrong. You focus on the solutions and not really trying to figure out who, who messed up. So, um, you know, who owns the, the, the CRM? In my opinion, it should be the nonprofit. And that should be uh, a, a cross-functional small group of people 
Now, granted, they, they take input from, you know, end users and they take guidance from leadership and maybe some, you know, final decisions need to be signed off by leadership. But having that group in the middle that really is the, the cross-functional group that owns it is, is the ideal situation. Ruben, I think we laid the a foundation for organizations as they navigate some of these changes. And I think what we just landed on is that there's another layer to this question. We talked about people and processes and platforming, but there's also this like deep organizational structure and cultural like twitch to that needs to be changed for organizations to successfully navigate this, especially in our new world that's relatively complex. And that's kind of this idea that you can be on multiple teams and you have to rethink, like, it's not just development and IT and marketing and, you know, programs or whatnot. Like, there can actually be teams within teams. And that idea of having a team that actually owns this and it's an autonomous team that, like, is they're responsible for this, even if those members are on other teams, is key. Because I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, that what we're talking about is, like, a committee. Like, I really think... What we're talking about is that there's a team that has ownership and empowerment and the opportunity to really drive this forward and make sure it's operating in the best way for the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is a culture shift. Um, and it, it is a it's a huge culture shift because not only do those team members need to buy in, but everybody needs to buy in. All their managers, all their leadership. Um, so, so it is. It is not. Uh, it is not an easy task, uh, and and I would say a, only a minority of the, the organizations I work with really, really um, are willing to embrace that. But uh, you know, it, it, this is. Uh, we can we can either kind of rethink things, or we can follow the same paths as, as we've seen of, of systems gone wrong. So I think now now is the time for that creativity. Now is the time for that culture shift, and 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 really to to rethink what can be successful. Yeah, and that there's a great quote I want to end on is that this you know systems are perfectly designed to get the results they get, and I think this is a huge part of that. Um, and that this is a system decision, not just a technology or a, you know process or people thing. It's really you're building a system to connect your supporters to your story. And that's really what we're talking about here. It's not just buying a CRM or changing a business process. Like it's a bigger, there's a bigger upstream uh, change that's being made. So Ruben, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the Responsive Fundraising Playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is going to be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Podcast.